0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Ego Check with the IDM. I am your host, Michael Mallon, and this week I'm excited to be talking with Karina Kam, co-founder and CEO of Crash Wave Games. If you've been following me on Twitter over the past few months, you'll maybe have noticed that I've been talking about a game called Iron Tides. I backed the game on Kickstarter and I've been playing the demo here and there over the last few months. And uh, really excited to talk with Karina about it, as she is very much involved with that game. Uh, So welcome to the show.
1: Hi. Thanks, Michael. Thanks for having me. This is an absolute honor.
0: Oh, well, you know, you're welcome. So now, what is your uh, role exactly in the Iron Tides game?
1: That is such a great question to start with, um, (laughs) because it's changed. Okay. Um, In the past... In the games industry, I've been known as, a, referred to as like a game designer. And that means I'm basically manipulating rules to make you experience something, or I'm manipulating numbers to make changes to tweak the balance of the game uh, and make it more accessible for others to kind of get into the feeling of it. Um, when we founded Crash Wave Games, however, I took on the role that was a bit more behind the scenes. Um, so I started out as a executive producer, I went into the role of media director and now I'm sitting at CEO, so it's been quite the journey. and I've, I've just learned so much in the process. Um, it's really hard to quantify what exactly I do, but I do it.
0: So you're wearing a lot of hats doing a lot of different things throughout the day. <laughs>
1: Basically, yeah. It's a lot of fun. Um, I think my main focus right now is catering to business relationships, um, doing interviews, reaching out to the community, and listening to what we need to do to get it right, get get this game right.
0: Mm -hmm. And so my understanding is from doing a little bit of research before our interview here today is that you've been involved in the game industry in one way or the other for about six or seven years? That is correct and so what are what are some of the roles and avenues you've been in uh, in the past?
1: Right, so I've been everything from a game designer to a lead game designer to a community manager to an analyst. And those roles kind of mix all together. Um, I mean, as game developers are I guess our would call it our our duty is to our player and we must focus on this. It's almost like, you know, the customer is always right. In this sense, the player is always right except we are the ones who decide that in the end. Um, sometimes we, we can listen to the community through community support. So that was a role that I, I sat in for a while. And you get thousands or hundreds of emails a day talking about problems um, and issues that players are experiencing. And then you this to the team and you decide what you want to do with that. So sometimes players are just upset because they can't get past the first five levels, and that's something that we have to take very seriously. Or sometimes they're upset because they're not getting enough gold at you know, a later advanced level, and that's something we can kind of negate for some time because, you know, according to the balance rules of our game, you know, we don't have to change much at that point. Um, so that was a rule. And then, taking it back to the game design um, aspect, that's where I was balancing numbers and looking at the whole like economic value of our game and um, it's all virtual currency, which is a lot of fun for me because it's very creative. Mm-hmm. It's like building building everything, building something from nothing, and that is super exciting. Uh, and then I was an analyst, which also goes hand in hand with uh, community manager and game designer, where we're taking back the feedback um, we're getting data from our sites and we're getting all these hits um, that mean different things to us and kind of extrapolating what we can and making informed, educated decisions.
0: And so one of the things that I thought would be fun to talk about with you is because you have a a really strong interest in player behavior and how players interact with those kind of in-game currency systems, and I think that goes a lot to like mobile games and games that are somewhat free to play or sometimes referred to as pay to win. So what's been your experience over the years of um, just some lessons learned from how players overall approach those games?
1: Also a very good question. Thanks. I like that you're challenging me here. (laughs) Uh, So my experience and my view on pay-to-play hasn't always been the best, Mm -hmm. um, simply because I don't believe as game developers we should be – in a way, I'll loosely compare it to being a drug dealer. Um, You know, you give someone something for free for the first time, and then they have to come back. Because you know, we all know that our game, uh, especially mobile – Uh, they're addictive. Mm -hmm. That's what they are. Um, If you make a short burst experience that lasts about five minutes, it's like eating a potato chip over and over and over again. And we give you the dopamine you're looking for. We give you all the happy feelings that you want, that instant gratification. And then we find a way to kind of manipulate that and get you to, you know, especially in competitive games, you see it all the time and mobile. Um, If you have a a kingdom that you're building up, and it is a player-versus-player kingdom, and you know that you are only five guards away from defeating your your opponent, and you could pay to get that right now instead of waiting ten hours, someone's going to do that. Mm -hmm. And so my view, my perspective on that has always been a little bit uh, jaded, I'll say, um, because I'm more of a hardcore gamer, but I do... Like the uh, casual side of gaming because it's accessible to all. And I would really not like it if um, I had to introduce a game to my, to my mom and tell her that the only way she could defeat me is if she invested 10 hours into this game or she gave me $5. It just, it, <laughs> to me, feels like cheating.
0: Right. Yeah. And that, I mean, I've certainly, I almost want to say, succumbed to different games like that. And this, the cycle I notice I get myself into is. A game like that comes out, like the early levels you advance pretty quickly, so you get more rewards, which, again, is kind of brilliant design. And then those rewards start to be more intermittent. It takes more work to get them unless you want to spend real money. Um, And so eventually I kind of keep banging my head against the wall, playing it for free, playing it for free. And then sooner or later it's like something happens in my life where I don't play for a day or two. And then I remember I was like, oh, yeah, I don't have to play this. And then I just delete the app from my phone to move on. And this has happened to me probably like six or seven times with different games. I, as a, as a player, like what appeals to you or what have you noticed with your behavior in those types of games?
1: You know, it's, pretty easy to sail these things you know, from a game designer perspective and then not fall into those traps as a player. Mm-hmm. So as a player, I also find myself being drawn to these types of games because you're right, they're very easy to level up in the beginning. And that's by design. If you have ever had a chance to read some postmortems by uh, Zynga, who made Farmville mm-hmm. in the early 2010s, I believe, mm-hmm. roughly when Farmville came out, um, yeah, they talk about how they they design their tutorial levels to fit within the span of five minutes. And in that five minutes, they get the player to commit to different actions. So the first action being you buy your seed and you plant it in the ground, and the game will tell you at that point. We communicate, we say, this plant will be ready in 10 seconds. And 10 seconds is no time to wait. Um, You know, you on your phone, you could be on a bus for all we know. And... 10 seconds goes by and your plant comes up and you click it and you feel good because we gratify you with uh, visuals and sounds and everything that just makes you feel really good inside and it's so easy to do, only 10 seconds. So you've now established this habit mm-hmm. and from there on we can kind of say, okay, well, you've done that. You've mastered this. You're now level one. Uh, we're going to give you a harder challenge. Here is a level two plant. And it's going to take you five minutes. And definitely from a player perspective, I see that as no challenge at all, at, at all. It's no problem for me. I mean, this game is good, the graphics are nice, the sound is, is good. Uh, I'm happy to commit that time. It's when, as you mentioned, where you start banging your head against the wall. That's that's when I lose interest, and that's where I feel a lot of um, pay-to-play games really fall short. Because uh, there needs to be a way for players to access your content without having to feel that frustration that is something that I just would like to avoid completely in this game world, and like the game hemisphere, I don't think really needs that. Um, but it is viable as like a strategy for for business, and so it's mm-hmm. it's a bit hard for me to exactly give you my thoughts, my opinions, because you know as a game developer and as a business owner, I can see both sides, and I'm sure, uh, yeah, right.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I, and I think about it from my perspective as like a psychologist, and just thinking about reinforcement schedules and how behavior is shaped and any kind of role-playing game even something tabletop dungeons and dragons it's like there's a reward system built in that encourages behavior and i mean it's fun (laughs) but there's definitely some behavioral health concepts that are being used or maybe in some games exploited to like get players or get consumers to behave in a certain way Uh, i think the first time i experienced that was I think it's the same company that did Farmville was Mafia Wars. (laughs) It's like this, Uh, this Facebook game that one night we were out, this is like 10 years ago, like a friend was playing it on his phone. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, what do you keep checking your phone about? He's like, Oh, my my mafia is fighting this other thing. I was like, that sounds dumb. (laughs) And then like three days later I was like, Oh, I, I saw something else for it. I checked it out. And then I think for weeks I was paying attention to Mafia Wars through Facebook and it, in retrospect, it was such a waste of time. But, like I said, that's happened to me from time to times so where I just get sucked into these to these games. So, I think there's something beneficial for game designers to know. Okay, what hooks people? But then, what's the ultimate end game? If it's not okay, we got to get this person's money, or we want to keep making a rewarding experience. How, how do you um, kind of cross that bridge?
1: So, as a game designer, um, we have to consider. Uh, on our end developing a game is not easy it's the way I describe game one isn't it's an abstraction of um, human interaction with the screen and like hardware so um, what does it take for us to build a game on uh, the ps4 versus the PC versus the new Nintendo switch um, it's gonna cost us a different um, license fee and different art assets and all this takes time and so, um I noticed that you did a piece with the Darkest Dungeon, um yes. Chris Rossa. Yeah. I'm fascinated by that one. That was a great one, by the way. Oh, um, thank you.
0: Yeah, he was fun. Yeah. He was great to talk to. And that's that's uh a game that I've really enjoyed and still haven't beaten yet. I need to really need to get to through that darkest dungeon. I um but anyway, I don't want to digress. But go ahead.
1: Oh, it's a great game. You can digress all you want, but <laughs> um, my point being that I think at one point during the interview, he said he'd spent you know, an absurd amount of time making this level, this beautiful, handcrafted level. And then he watched a player basically consume all that in you know 10 minutes. Like mm-hmm. Speedrunning is a culture. And I think as a game developer, that can be so crushing. Uh, it's like months and months and months of work, and a consumer comes along and just it's gone in an hour. Um, so that's where I find the most complicated uh, problem for game designers and, and game developers everywhere we spend so much time on this game how do we balance the need for content with the availability to create such content uh, and that's where our you know we I think for a lot of developers who are in the pay-to play realm um, they want to be obviously they want to be um, compensated for their time mm-hmm. so when you ask me like how do we cross that threshold it really needs to be hand in hand. That's what I see. And I know a lot of great games like The Darkest Dungeon, and I'll refer to it a lot. Um, they have like a Steam workshop, and the community will actually put their ideas out there. They'll listen to them. Um, the community will build things with them as well. And I think that is a such a better way of doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, another good example would be Little Big Planet on the PS4. Um, they actually gave players uh, a level editor, and then they had this entire world completely generated by player content um and that wasn't i mean it still took the months of work to make that level editor but they gave it to the players and they facilitated this you know content and um you know amusement together and i think that's probably the most beautiful way to do it
0: it sounds like giving ownership of the game in some ways to to the players themselves rather than just being strict consumers is one way to go
1: i think so um I mean, having worked for some free-to-play and premium games company before, um, I can definitely say that there are players out there who are comfortable with spending a large amount of time in a free-to-play or pay-to-play game, and they're also comfortable with spending a large amount of money in that, too. And, you know, that is your prerogative, and that's perfectly fine if you can justify uh, the content that you're getting and you find that the qu- content is quality and you're happy to support the game, then I think, by all means, please support as many developers as you can. However, just from my uh, human perspective, um, I think it's about a lot better to, yeah, like you said, uh, give that to the players and have ownership uh, all together. It's just, it's strong, you're stronger together.
0: Sure. Yeah, and so, so what are some of the games that you've worked on in the past?
1: Um... They're very indie, very niche, so I'm. you probably have not heard of them. Okay. <laughs> um, but I've ever played – I had my hands in uh, DeskBank in the past. Um, I was just a keyway tester there, so nothing too big. Okay. I have had my hands in a couple game studios in Vancouver, so Eastside Games, one of them, Bluebag Games as well, uh, Blitzu. So a lot of apps and smaller uh Startups. Um, that's where I developed a culture for kind of wearing many hats mm-hmm. uh, and really broadening my pres- my horizons from you know economic balancing to community analysis to actual analytics um, and then leading a team in just basic design and using those principles. Uh, I know you mentioned earlier that you're a psychologist and you can kind of understand um, a lot of human behaviors and reinforcement things that we're doing. In like uh, you see it in Dungeons and Dragons, well, in game design, we kind of take from that as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not sure. as in-depth, but we still take a lot of those behaviors away, and we we try to mix and match it together to make a game that is fun and engaging to play.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and I think one of the interesting things, kind of returning to Darkest Dungeon, about player behavior and sort of the psychology behind it is, and Darkest Dungeon isn't alone in this, but having almost an element of suffering built in to the experience. And I think other games that are, have cranked up the difficulty level, uh, in recent years, I think like the dark Souls series and some other games where like, you don't expect to succeed 100% of the time. Um, and that's sort of built into the experience and part of the enjoyment of that game is, or those games is how challenging it is. And I kind of wonder about the balance there of is a game enjoyable now because it's challenging or does something else have to be going on? You know what I mean? hmm
1: hmm So that's an excellent point. Um, you'd make an excellent designer. Um, so we have this common uh, saying in the games industry, um, a game is the most engaging when you adequately balance risk with reward.
0: Hmm. Okay.
1: So in uh, the darkest dungeon and Demon Souls and Dark Souls, that was a very niche hardcore game. Um, but what we've learned from that is that. Uh, it wasn't as niche as we thought. (laughs) That's what we learned. I mean, I know when Demon's Souls came out first, they weren't really expecting to do as well as they did. They, you know, launched it in Japan and it just took off, exploded. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then they, we had to bring it to North America and it was just the most sought after game of the year. And it was beautiful, brilliant, everything about it. Um, Aside from the controls and user interface, which I have issues with personally, but um, (laughs) you know, I can work around that um, because I love, I'm a big fan of that series. Um, So, I was most impressed with it because they do a good job of risk versus reward. Um, when you feel like you have something to lose, when the consequence of death is actually terrifying, mm-hmm. the experience becomes so much more alive and like living. It's a living game at this point, um, and they did that so well. Um, and I, I hope to see more games like that. Um, Primarily because right now in the games industry, like the demographic right now, the average gamer is about 35 years old. So they've matured. Um, Mm -hmm. Then they've kind of, we've kind of, I guess, Pac-Man was launched in the 1980s. So we've, a lot of us have grown up with games at Mm -hmm. this point. Most of us have about 10 to 20 years of experience just playing games. Um, And it's. Kind of interesting for me to assess the new generation, um, generation after Y, whichever that one is. Um, I lose track. (laughs) I lose track, too, but whatever generation is after generation Y, um, I watched this interview where they put a teenage boy in front of a TV, and he was playing an NES game, an old one called Contra. i think
0: contra yeah contra sure yep you heard of it yeah spent many many hours playing that many days playing that when i was young because i'm on the high end of that 35 mean that you mentioned earlier so i remember (laughs) i remember all those games
1: it's it was a fun game i remember playing it too and uh they have a very high difficulty setting as well um but so many gamers who are in the 35 year old category or older um they remember that game fondly, and they love that game. It's just, they did a good job of balancing risk with reward, and the, the feeling of death is, you know, in some points, it can be humiliating, because you start from the very beginning, and it's just, it's a grind, and it's, it's, it's a test of skill and challenge there. It's just, it's a very good game for what it was back in the time. But anyway, I digress. Um, the teenage boy was playing this game, and he couldn't get past the first level, and so they sat down with him afterwards, and they said, well, what was your experience like in he basically said he didn't like it. And I found that kind of interesting because it seems like the newer generation of gamers, they like games to be very easy. Mm. Um, they like things to be kind of handed off to them. So a game like The Darkest Dungeon and a series and franchise like uh, Demon Souls and Dark Souls is something I very much appreciate um, because, again, they did the whole risk with reward. They, they married it together very beautifully.
0: You know, that speaks, you know, potentially to other you know, cultural ramifications of, and, and certainly read a lot of articles and the stereotypes about millennials and how they're used to having things handed to them or everyone gets a prize, there's no first, second place, everyone gets a participation trophy. And I don't think all that is mm-hmm. accurate, but it's interesting to hear your feedback of just, you know, that one example of, in terms of playing games, someone from a younger audience didn't really like the challenge involved. Mm-hmm. And I, uh-huh. and I remember playing the original Zelda, for example, for Nintendo. And, you know, back then there was no internet. So it, the game came with an instruction book and a map. And you really had no idea what you were supposed to do or where to go. And you just had to figure it out. And that's such a different experience than even Darkest Dungeon now. There's a very detailed wiki page for it. You can go on there and learn the best strategy for how to go about each boss and what items you should take on which levels and like if you there's so much more support for games being easier now Mm
1: -hmm. it almost seems
0: like you have to ramp up the difficulty to engage people in some ways
1: That's a really good point um you know through all my rantings it has occurred to me that we have what's the well availability of internet it makes playing games so much easier. I mean, when I was just becoming a hardcore gamer in my teenage years, I had a site called GameFAQs.com, and I spent an exorbitant of time on that, just reading up the best strategies to win. And now we have YouTube and we have Twitch, and someone will actually tell me how to win <laughs> um, and give me the best strategies. And I don't think that's a bad thing, um, but it does mean that, like you pointed out, we probably... We can push that uh, difficulty up a little bit uh, and see what happens. I mean, I'm I'm still not sure. This is my first project being produced uh, as an independent, mm-hmm. so I'm curious to see what happens when Iron Ties is released because our game is it's uh, it's kind of where casual and hardcore meet. So um, we want the experience to be very easy to get into and uh, very easy to learn, um, and the controls are pretty simple in what they are. Um, but the complexities of the strategy um, that's something that I want to remain on the more challenging side so I'm really curious to see what happens when we launch
0: yeah and I'm, I'm really uh, excited to talk about iron tide specifically but maybe backing up just a step or two what what triggered you to found or co-found crash wave games
1: that is a long story <laughs> but I uh, <laughs> I launched my career in 2009 when Barack Obama was just taking on uh, the presidency for the first time. And it was interesting because the economy had plummeted and it was very difficult to find work anywhere, really. Um, Canada was suffering uh, and it was just studios were shutting down left, right, and center. And I felt very depressed about that whole process. Um, mm-hmm. But I stuck with it uh, and I worked really hard. Uh, you know, like I said, I started as a QA tester, so I worked very, very hard to try to get into get my foot in the door to become like a, a game designer and eventually work my way from there. Um, but a few years later I was nominated for a Game Changer Award. Um and that really spurred me on and it, it showed me it allowed me to travel first of all, and it showed me that there was an an industry that supports um, what I was doing. And it was only growing. It was only a matter of time before it would reach like this tipping point where it would explode. And so I put my head down again. And I kept going. And uh, just by working through startups, I, I kind of bet on these little startups, uh, which one would do really well. And I found a really great company that Did indeed do well. Um, And when we parted ways, they gave me this really nice bonus, which is kind of them. And I thought this was the time, this is the moment to kind of take up the opportunity. We're no longer in a depression. In fact, the economy is doing much better in Canada. um, And now I can afford to take a bit more of a risk with my career. And this is the first thing that I decided to do. Um, My business partner, Sam Rasky, and I just kind of got together because. Well, we'd worked together at a company before, and we were kind of just wanting to do something um, that wasn't pay-to-play, that wasn't uh, mobile or very casual. We wanted to kind of hit that mid-market and see what we could do with uh, a new genre, mm-hmm. uh, like a new generation of rogue light. So, not rogue like, but rogue light uh, technology. And so, um, to answer your question, uh, that it was just kind of a stroke of fate that we we fell into this and um, we have a long story about how our Tides was developed and how we even came to that conclusion that we wanted to make this game and um, all of that. And I'm happy to discuss that, but all I can say is it was really just, um, I saw the opportunity and I went for it Um, and it fell into place from there.
0: Yeah. And congratulations on doing that. That's a, a bold step to take, I think, to, kind of have a vision for where you want to go in the future. And regardless of whatever anxieties or (laughs) negative thoughts are there in the way, just doing it. So that's awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. And so why pirates, which maybe is uh, maybe more a difficult question than it seems, but why Vikings? Why like open seas?
1: Yeah. (laughs) I've been asked this before, why not samurais, why not zombies, why not, uh, you know, cowboys? Um, Honestly, and I'll I'll say this with uh, um, (laughs) – honestly, it was – the History Channel was showing Vikings. Mm -hmm. And I watched the first episode and I thought, this was awesome. And (laughs) it's just – Salmon watched it too and we were just like, hmm yeah, I think we should just make a Viking game. Um, At the time, we hadn't really seen a lot of Viking games come out, so we thought, okay, so we know that in a few years' time, there will probably be a few Viking games, um, but we don't know how many. Mm -hmm. So there's that opportunity that we see as well. I mean, like, we could have made a zombie game, but Mm -hmm. there are so many zombie games out there right now, and Vikings are kind of a a genre that doesn't get a lot of love. Like Mm -hmm. I'm not sure why, but they're a really cool little theme, um, and we just We just knew that if we don't take it now, someone else will, and that narrative of Vikings—it kind of can go in many directions too. So uh, it was one of those choices where, like, if we had let's say chosen um, wizards and you know Harry Potter theme, we would be stuck and committed to magic, and magic has its own like um, properties where you can. Make dragons come to life. You can make snow and ice from nothing. Um, And that's really cool too. But Vikings can be, you know, it could be that the farmland Vikings who have to sail around and gather their food and come back and crop and plant and harvest. Or it could mean like Thor and Loki. And so we really opened ourselves up to the idea that with a Viking theme, we could have, you know, that element of magic or we could have that like more down to earth. Kind of feeling, um, or we could blend them together. So we saw that that palette in front of us, and we thought, okay, well, let's just see what works for us, and we'll take it from there.
0: Yeah, and I've had the you know privilege of being able to play some of the early demos a bit, and I, and again, I think this is one of the big things with Darkest Dungeon too is just the art style fits with the vibe of the game. So the the animations, the characters, the Vikings, like they all have their own unique style, and it's, I don't want to say the arch like, because I feel like that's a misrepresentation, because it looks really good, but there's something almost whimsical about the way the Vikings look uh, and the enemies look, and it's just kind of fun to have these characters like think about tactically how to win each battle, and you're sailing around looking for resources, so its I think you found a good formula there.
1: Thank you. I... So really appreciate that. Uh, We, like I said from the beginning, we knew that we wanted to gain the interest of casual gamers, but we also wanted to appeal to hardcore gamers. And if you look at many mobile games and casual free to play premium games, uh, the art is typically very like whimsical, as you might say, or like very bright and colored. Uh, So we had to play around with that a few times. And in fact, I'm glad that you brought the art art cell up because we've changed it a couple times just. Internally, in-house, mm-hmm. kind of updating things. We tried a very serious theme, uh, and then we found the game was just a bit too like dark and somber. And um, I think I'm not sure how we fell into place with the brighter art style, but I think the game itself uh, it's kind of dark, but it's also I don't know, it's more like a Fire Emblem, uh, Final Fantasy, and that's what I'm. That was our vision going into it. Mm-hmm.
0: Yes. what were some of the... I mean, you started talking about two games there, but what were some of the sources of inspiration when you sat down and tried to map out this experience from a player perspective? Like, what kind of game vibes were you shooting for?
1: I think we approached this game very non-traditionally. So we didn't, like, sit down with a pen and paper and write down all the ideas that we had. You know, like, we actually just went ahead and tested it uh in a board game store Mm, so yeah um it took some iteration but sam is an avid or used to be an avid uh D D player and he's got experience with tabletop games so he is a creator in himself and he constantly makes little games from nothing um which is quite remarkable to watch him like make it and he one day he had this idea uh, that he wanted to do this Viking game and like yeah Viking's awesome let's do it uh, and I tried to come up with I did the traditional thing like writing things down um, as a designer and you know, I'm really used to documentation and Excel sheets and all the boring stuff but Sam took a very different approach where he sat down and he physically cut things out mm-hmm. uh, and he made little stands for them he made an interchangeable board um, and then we took this and we applied some rules to it and we tested it at home just privately Uh we went through a couple of like two weeks of this and then eventually we said, let's just go to the local Magic the Gathering store. Uh, let's see what the people actually think about it. So, um that is where the basics of Iron Tides came up and all we had at the time was just the battle mechanics. So we had no idea, no vision for the art style at that time. Um we just kinda let it, like I said, fall into place. And I think it's well, it's worked out well.
0: Yeah, and that, it's not surprising that it comes maybe from some board game, like tactical board game origins. Because I know playing it, and and we were talking a bit about this before we went on air. Is that uh, once you find, once I found a rhythm of combat in the game, it seemed like some of the battles was like, okay, I just need to focus my attention on this guy, get rid of him, then then kill him, then kill him, and like I got into a really good rhythm where it, it wasn't as challenging as it was like the first couple of times. And I, I think it just, to tabletop games, like a lot of times uh, players will, like, focus fire on just one enemy so they get less attacks. And, like, all these kind of strategies you have from tabletop games seem to work pretty well also in, um, in Iron Tides. And I, I haven't played in a while, but that totally makes sense that, that someone from a board game background was helping to design the, the experience.
1: Mm-hmm. and i find that the best games out there like are insp- uh, inspirations like again the darkest dungeon um i love them to pieces uh, i believe that they also had a concept that was very board game like and don't quote me on this i just it just seems that way as well mm-hmm. um there are a couple other games that are emerging from vancouver right now um that also have a very board game esque feel um and i i quite enjoy those games like i think there's just a lot of meat and bread there and a lot to like think about and a lot um I mean, a video game in itself is just so abstract. Uh, to simplify it down to like the roots of an actual game with dice and paper and some rule sets, um, it kind of makes a bit more sense for me mm-hmm. when it goes into a digital landscape.
0: Mm-hmm. And I was just thinking just now of how circular it sometimes is. So like, I in terms of Dungeons & Dragons, the, probably the most I've played is 4th edition, and 4th edition was – Right. For better or for worse, kind of talked about as a, like taking a game like Warcraft and turning it into a a pen and paper game. So Mm -hmm. taking more of a computer experience and turning it into a tabletop game. And when I played Iron Tides, I kind of felt like, oh, this is like fourth edition Dungeons and Dragons, but more in a video game format. (laughs) So it's interesting how those ideas can be applied in multiple formats you know, tabletop, um, video game, uh, console experience. Um, and it seems like that cycle just, you know, continues to inspire new iterations.
1: From what I'm understanding about, uh, video games, uh, and this is, like I said, my seventh year doing it, it kind of reminds me of fashion hmm. in that it'll always come back at some point. So yeah, why not zombies? Uh, and why Vikings, Eventually, I think our industry is going to shift focus and come back to zombies anyway. So Vikings, again, just need more love. And like I said, it's kind of like fashion. You'll see games coming in and out of style. Um, And all that really changes is graphics, for one. and uh, Maybe we have better controls at that point. Uh, Maybe we've identified a new genre. Um, Maybe we're coming back to an old genre. These things, I think, will recycle uh, in the next 10 years, but... Mm -hmm. I can't actually be certain, because uh, a lot of things are happening right now.
0: Yeah, and in terms of the Vikings game, I know when I saw the the trailer for your Kickstarter several months ago, I think it was actually one of the members of the Darkest Dungeon team who had linked to it on Twitter. And I was like, oh, this looks interesting. It was like a ship sailing in a stormy sea, and it reminded me of a game I played many, many years ago, Sid Meier's Pirates, which I love that game. So I clicked on it and saw it. I was like, oh... Viking sailing around, looting stuff, trying to survive, exploring. This looks awesome. So I backed the game and uh, it just kind of fit into that niche of like, yeah, there hasn't been a game where I get to sail around and loot stuff and continue exploring. I haven't really had that experience in a while. Uh, so it's just interesting to hear you kind of compare it to fashion. Like, you know, some things come back all over again.
1: Yeah. And uh, let me personally thank you for doing that for us. That means so much. That to hear the community and actually speak, sit down and talk to someone uh, from the community who's has backed us, um, that actually, like, earnestly fills my heart with joy, and I'm uh, so pleased that we have an opportunity to do this. Yeah, uh, I'm pretty stoked that you're actually comparing it to Sid Mary's Pirates. Like, that is, that's a tall order.
0: <laughs> so, kind of jumping in specific to Iron Tide, so, I, I mean, I, I imagine I'll go through a few more changes, but the general gist is you select a group of vikings and you go out on more or less an adventure for example i went out with like three different vikings that are all a different class so they have different skills and abilities and then you encounter other other pirates or other people out in the seas or on these little bases and each encounter you have to defeat them and you collect gold and, or not gold treasure and food and food's a big thing to stay alive but each quest you have kind of a overall mission you need to complete, and then you can sail back to town and kind of divvy up the spoils of your your adventure. And that just repeats, and the missions become more and more elaborate. Am I summarizing that correctly?
1: Yes. Um, we like to boil it down to uh, just Viking Simulator. Okay. So if you're, you're, ever, you're ever curious what a Viking would do uh, when they're not farming and harvesting and growing uh, and fishing, that, that's what Iron Tides is. You're sailing and pillaging and fighting.
0: Yeah, and it's fun. <laughs> I definitely <laughs> encourage people to check it out. And So one of the mechanics, uh, and maybe put on the game design hat here for a moment, that I really found enjoyable and was trying to find ways to exploit as a player uh, was the idea of, of Fury. So could, do you want to explain that to, to folks?
1: Yeah, Absolutely. Fury is a pretty simple mechanic. Uh, When it boils down to it, it's just an action point. It's just a resource that you use to activate an ability. And as you mentioned before, each Viking has uh, four abilities. We draw from a pool of seven, so every Viking really is very random um, because you never know which of the seven you're going to get. However, uh, every ability that you have uh, has an associated cost, which costs Fury. So um, the idea is... While you're on the battlefield, you unleash your fury on the enemies. So that might be like a powerful killing shot. uh, That might be like a throwing your axe. And based on how you play your game, um, if you manage to kill an enemy, you'll get a fury back. So it becomes this almost an element of not just tactical... Uh, you know, strategy. It becomes also managing your resource, mm-hmm. and that was very interesting to us because I myself, as a gamer, I like resource management, and I also happen to like strategy. So it just kind of fit into my like my likes as well.
0: Yeah, and there's one character, and you mentioned the throwing the axe. I think it's the berserker, this like Viking who's I think he's got a mohawk or something. He's got a big beard, mm-hmm. or and uh, one of the things he can do is can throw his axe. So it's awesome to be this guy throw your axe kill somebody and so you can attack again and if there are people close by then he can attack them he kills them he can attack again and you can set up some pretty ridiculous combos (laughs) (laughs) with the different heroes the uh the female viking that shoots the bow and arrow she can also start uh building up some combos that way it's fun when you get on roll
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, I think in our final, like, finale version, we'd like to have, like, a combo. Uh, like, whenever you play, like, Street Fighter, and you see that little combo meter at the, the top going, like, you know, times yeah. 10, times 11, times 12, combo break. Right. Um, <laughs> I I think we'd like to try to push for that. Uh, I think it's a pretty good experience, and I think we're onto something here, just talking to you. Um, but, yeah, Fury is such an interesting mechanic. Um where you, you want to unleash all your fury. You want to make sure that no Vikings have any fury left when you have to end your turn, and that's a decision that we leave up to you. So you don't have to unleash all your fury, um, but that would be the most inefficient way to like you know fight in a battle. Mm. Like, we tried to boil on the concept of what is it really like to be a Viking fighting? Um, and from what I've observed in the Viking History Channel, it's just... Getting really angry and <laughs> going until you can no longer go. So, um, that's that's what we were trying to communicate using that action point system.
0: Correct me if I'm misremembering, but you know, one of the playing games like Diablo or Diablo two, like when you destroy something, there's like this explosion of blood and gore and it's not nearly as violent as that. But in that same kind of whimsical there's definitely like a reaction when you when you dispatch a foe. Uh, yeah. There's some entertaining animations that happen that are like rewarding.
1: Uh, yeah, we um, it's it's just a ragdoll effect, and um, we actually found it quite comical. Yeah. So, yeah. in our very 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 early builds, uh, when we didn't allow you to like end your turn, we just gave you unlimited fury. Uh, I spent a lot of time just whacking enemies and watching them fly off the board and yeah. like even running through the bodies and like creating a trail. Like That was so satisfying for me. And I thought we should definitely bring this experience as well. Because I think, like you said, you touched on uh, the art being kind of uh, cutesy, whimsical. And then death in itself is such a s- sad and very harsh reality to kind of um, – compare that, in a way, with the mm-hmm. ride Dolified, it, it was just a little bit humorous for us, and we just, I guess that tells you a bit about our sense of humor. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I definitely think it comes through in the game, and it, it adds to it. I mean, I think those little elements of the tactics involve the art style, and each little encounter or, or battle, I mean, and certainly in these earlier versions I've played, like, a lot of the enemies are the same, and you kind of develop a system for how to approach each combat, but I think with the Fury and trying to manage that, it becomes not only, okay, how do I win this combat, but how how do I do it most efficiently? And how can I pull off some combos to make it feel like I'm smart, (laughs) for lack of a better word? And I think the game does a pretty good job of that, of there's a little bit of a learning curve, but then you kind of realize, oh, okay, I should do this instead of that, and that helps my chances of getting out of this combat without almost dying. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
1: Uh, So you actually have brought up two points that I want to touch on very quickly. Uh, Yeah, so when we designed Iron Tides, we knew that we wanted it to be very uh, roguelite. So again, casual to hardcore. Uh, So each battle is actually designed to take within, to be within the span of two to five minutes. So I'm happy that you're playing the game that we want you to. You experience that you are trying to think as efficiently as possible, and you're trying to like just blur through these um, these levels, and that makes us really happy to hear. The second thing that I want to touch on is uh, the enemies. So, I you might be the only person who uh, has commented on the enemies being too difficult. So, congratulations to you. Um, But that's something that we are working on, uh, and I just wanted to inform, update the community and let you guys know that we are taking some very interesting approaches to how we want the enemies to perform. So right now, the enemies, we haven't spent too much time on them, but they only have, like, you know, a very basic set of skills. Mm -hmm. Uh, In our full vision, uh, enemies will have, you know... Array of, of skills they can use, um, and they'll be they'll behave a lot smarter than they used to. So right now, you'll notice some of the enemies will like run up to you, when they have no health, and that's not like the most ideal thing for them to do. Um, but we are most certainly working on that, so that these little skirmishes you get into, although we say we want you to spend two to five minutes on them, it's going to be a very hard two to five minutes. Mm-hmm.
0: So as most of the feedback from playtesters so far have been that the game's too easy?
1: It's a mix, actually. Um, I've observed uh, some playtesting sessions go on, and some people will lose all their Vikings in the first round, and that always surprises me. Uh, and some players will say that there's just not enough content and the game is too easy. Um, or some players don't understand how to like link the Fury mechanic together to create this very um, harmonious kind of battle flow Um, and so these are things that we just have to kind of work Mm out I think an advanced player like yourself would probably find Iron Tide just on the easier side and again we're just working on that right now to kind of give you that more risky experience Mm -hmm.
0: what's the end game or is there an end game? Could you just potentially sail around forever until your Vikings perish, or is there a a win condition?
1: There is a win condition. We're working on that, uh, but right now it's following the story of Sigurd. Um, and so we've implemented a new tutorial, and in the tutorial we have an intro where we come across this broken, battered ship, and we are in charge of this ship with two Vikings, a small crew, um, and they are basically fighting the scorn and the wrath of the gods who have cast upon them the Iron Tides, which is a very devastating sea, which is full of riches and glory. Um, and there's a little story that we follow in there about some other heroes who have tried before you, and uh, they met Lost Sea, so there is a story that we're following, um, but I can't go into too much detail.
0: Okay. But it it sounds like there's kind of significant carrots along the way for people to move forward in the game.
1: Absolutely. Yes.
0: And and so how does leveling up the, the Vikings work?
1: Oh, yeah, great. That's an awesome question. So every time you use your viking in battle, that viking will gain some experience. Uh, we like to call that experience as uh, glory. So every time you do something really epic, like you throw your axe, you've rewarded some glory. Now you're more down in your village. Uh, when you have enough glory, you become uh, you level up to like you know from one to two. Mm-hmm. And so right now we have this randomly generated skill tree where you can select skills. Uh, and as you select skills, you unlock the next Branch in the tree, so you don't know what what uh, what the Viking is going to look like at the end. But if you keep leveling your Viking up, you'll be able to kind of customize them to the way you like. So, uh, for example, we just implemented this in Build 119, so it's very fresh. Um, for example, you can have a Berserker who does 45 uh, has a 45% chance to deal more damage uh, to a wounded enemy, or you can give him more health. So that, that's totally up to you, however, you want your playstyle to be. Okay. Um, yeah, that, you're just growing with your characters, is what we're doing.
0: Is there a way? The names, I think, are just randomly generated of all the different characters.
1: That's true. Um, okay. We are working on a way to implement some of the names from our community so that everyone can kind of, you know. Be part of our game. Um, it was really, like I said, it was really important for us to reach out to the community and have them respond in such a way. We actually feel so honored that uh, we were able to succeed with our Kickstarter, and it's actually helping us push our dreams forward. Um, so that's our little thing that we're doing. But yeah, the names are right now randomly generated. I'm not sure if we'll let you change them yet, but I think I think we'll work on that.
0: And so, Iron Tides is planning it- It's planned to come out this uh, spring, summer of 2017?
1: That's correct, yes.
0: And so if people wanted to check this out or learn more about it or maybe even play a a demo, is that something that they can do right now?
1: So if you are an exclusive Kickstarter backer, you have – Uh, You are very welcome to play our demo. If you are interested in checking out our game, just go to irontides.com, take a look there, send it to our mailing address, and we'll send you a copy of the demo as well. Early access is set for uh, late spring, early summer, and then the full release um, will be at the winter of 2017, so... Um, okay. If anyone wants to check it out, please do. Um, we're always on the hunt for more feedback. And I'd like to know, out of just my own curiosity, is this game complicated for you? Is it too hard, uh, too easy? Uh, what would you change about it? Uh, what can we do to make this experience everything you want from a Viking simulator?
0: <laughs> I wonder, what is it like as, as you know a team? Um, it sounds like the, your team is fairly small to get... To get feedback from different players, and one person says, like, this game is really inaccessible, I don't understand what's going on, and somebody else says, this game's way too easy. (laughs) How do you, like, what do you do with both of those types of feedback for the same game?
1: I feel like we did this to ourselves. Um, (laughs) I feel like when we, when we, when we targeted casual to hardcore, that, we'd have this whole spectrum of people who have never played a game before, mm. and then we have people who religiously are devoted to games. So um, trying to, I guess, distill what they're really saying is where um, our expertise comes in. If someone says this game is very inaccessible uh, and it's just too hard or complicated, that's something that we have to kind of... Think about like it stings a little bit for us to hear that. Um, I mean, but we're we've been in the forest too long. You can't see the trees, um, mm-hmm. and at this point, we need to hear that. It keeps us grounded. Um, what they might be trying to say uh, ineffectively is that they did not get the tutorial they were asking for, or we went too fast. We skipped over some uh, some like uh, features in our game, and they would have really appreciated us. Uh, if we had taken the time to like kind of slow it down a bit. So um, when we compare that to a hardcore player who says this game is too easy, um, then we know that maybe we need to address that in a way that is applicable to that player. So maybe give them a choice of easy, medium, hard. Uh, and just trying to, you know, balance, elegantly balance uh, the two different feedbacks we hear and kind of find the best solution for both worlds. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and one of the things that I found interesting about about my early feedback for for you about the game, we had shared some emails several months ago, was kind of the, the food system. And, you know, one of the things about the Vikings as you're sailing around is you need food to, you know, keep people healthy. And I was continuously running out of food. <laughs> and I just died at sea, hungry, which I thought was the saddest way for a Viking to end, end their life. Uh, and I asked about that, and You had responded back to me like, oh, yeah, well, you're taking too many Vikings on your ship. I was like, oh, I didn't realize that was a thing. So I think like that kind of feedback seems like it might be useful to like put in a tutorial somewhere or maybe it was something I missed of how many Vikings you have equals this much food is consumed, that sort of thing.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, Yeah, I do remember that conversation. And I went back to Sam and we talked about it for a bit. And I believe in one of our builds, not this one right now, but in one of our builds, we actually have the stamina built into Norhaven. So as you are bringing uh, Vikings onto your ship, you'll see something happening with Sam. And you'll start to understand that, okay, the more Vikings that I have on my ship the more food they consume. So uh, I'd really like us to focus on that as well. Because uh, Yeah, you're right. Dying at sea as a hungry Viking is probably the worst way to go. <laughs> there's, no, there's no honor or glory at dying yeah, at sea. Yeah,
0: I didn't get any glory points for starving at sea. <laughs> I was like, oh, I guess the adventure's over. I, would, I'm, I knew I was doing something wrong. So the next few times I, I played, I just took three Vikings and – was able to do really well in combat with them and food wasn't an issue at all. So that's when I was starting to level up and just kind of play around with doing, doing crazy combos with those three Vikings. And oh. it was a lot of fun.
1: Oh, that's a good strategy. Um, we find the best strategy is to take three Vikings and just kind of run loose. We did work on some difficulty elements. So I think we've tuned down uh, food. So that should no longer be a problem. If you want to bring like six Vikings with you, you will notice that, at the end of your voyage, the very end, like, if you want to explore, you're probably gonna start to starve, yeah. but the X point's very close. So we'll give you that choice, you know, like, well, hopefully you have brought enough food, but at that point it should be quite the challenge. Um, so now it's balanced a bit better and accordingly to your advice and your feedback, which is great. Um, and we've done some things with our levels so that, uh, right, well, right now we have 42, brand new battlefields you can play through. So that's kind of cool. cool. And um, yeah, we actually have recommended settings now. So some of the quests will say, uh, we we advise you to bring four Vikings level one or five Vikings level two uh, so that you don't run into that problem of like you know bringing too many on your ship and dying at sea.
0: <laughs> Always a bad idea. <laughs> have too many Vikings and die at sea. So yeah, I mean, obviously, it uh, sounds like this year is... Um, focused on Iron Tides and getting, getting that out for release and that'll be available on Steam? Like wh- where can people buy the game eventually?
1: This will be first available on Steam and then uh, depending on how the community responds to our game I-, I would like us to open that up to like GOG.com and maybe the Humble Bundle but that won't be for some time so my best suggestion is for everyone to get on Steam now and give us your feedback and review. leave reviews for us so that we can read them and work with you Uh, And, you know, if you do find – if someone else says food is too easy, then we'll have to come back to this discussion again, and I'll call you up and say, Michael, you were wrong. Right, (laughs) which
0: is – I I hear that a lot, so that's not a problem.
1: (laughs) Well, we'll put you on our list uh, of people to blame. Um, Yes,
0: it'll be in the credits. Blame him (laughs) for food and encumbrance issues.
1: (laughs) Uh this has been awesome I have really appreciated everything um, that you've asked Uh, but for now it's just going to be available on Steam and we'll listen to our community and again if people are on GOG and they want to play Iron Tide just send us a a message because we're always listening and we're we're here for for you as much as you are for us
0: and what's the best way people can get in touch with you if they do have questions and uh, I just want to check in with you
1: yeah, we have several channels available. We have a Facebook page for Iron Tides, and um, we have a Twitter, at Iron Tides. We also have a support email that is support at irontides.com, um, and those are probably the fastest ways to get to us, but we also monitor our Kickstarter page, and, and we have monthly updates there, um, and so we are very much invested into telling you what's happening, giving you updates, and then, you know, taking your feedback and Working, working alongside you. Yeah.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for, uh, well, first of all, for creating Iron Tides because I've really enjoyed it so far and I'm I'm looking forward to the completed version. I think it's going to be a lot of fun and I'm sure I'll sink a lot of time into it. Uh, And also for coming on the show and talking about game design, being an indie developer and uh, specifically just kind of the nuts and bolts of how Iron Tide works.
1: Oh, you're so welcome, Michael. And it's been an absolute pleasure to hang out with you and chat and um, yeah, I'd be happy to do this again and again and again as many times as you need
0: Sure, yeah, well when when Iron Tides 2 or the next project is getting rolling then uh, we can certainly meet back up again and talk We're good Alright, excellent, thank you
1: Thank you